0: Chapter ten of the Worm ouroboros This Librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Jason Mills The Worm Auroboros by E R Edison Chapter ten The March Lands of the Maruna Of the Journey of the Demons from Salapanta to Eshgar Orgo, wherein is set down concerning the lady of Ishne Namatra and other notable matters. Mivosh Faz came betimes on the morrow to the lords of Demonland, and found them ready for the road. So he asked them where their journey lay, and they answered, East. Eastward, said Mivosh, always lead to the Maroona. None may go thither and not die. But they laughed, and answered him, Do not too narrowly define our power, sweet Mivosh, restraining it to thy capacities. Know that our journey is a matter determined of, and it is fixed with nails of diamond to the wall of inevitable necessity. They took leave of him and went their ways with their small army. For four days they journeyed through deep woods, carpeted with the leaves of a thousand autumns, where at midmost noon twilight dwelt among hushed woodland noises, and solemn eyeballs glared nightly between the tree-trunks, gazing on the demons as they marched or took their rest. The fifth day, and the sixth and the seventh, they journeyed by the southern margin of a gravelly sea, made all of sand and gravel, and no drop of water, yet ebbing and flowing away with great waves as another sea doth, never standing still and never at rest. And always by day and night, as they came through the desert, was a great noise very hideous, and a sound as it were of tambourines and trumpets. Yet was the place solitary to the eye, and no living thing afoot there save their company faring to the east. On the eighth day they left the shore of that waterless sea, and came by broken rocky ground to the descent to a wide vale, shelterless and unfruitful, with the broad stony bed of a little river winding in the strath. Here, looking eastward, they beheld in the luster of a late bright shining sun, a castle of red stone, on a terrace of the fellside beyond the valley. Just said, we can be there before nightfall, and there we will take guesting. When they drew near, they were where, betwixt sunset and moonlight, of one sitting on a boulder in their path, about a furlong from the castle, as if gazing on them, and awaiting their coming. But when they came to the boulder there was no such person. So they passed on their way toward the castle, and when they looked behind them, lo, there was he sitting on the boulder, bearing his head in his hands, a strange thing which would cause any man to abhor. The castle gate stood open, and they entered in, and so by the courtyard to a great hall, with the board set as for a banquet and bright fires, and an hundred candles burning in the still air, but no living thing was there to be seen, nor a voice heard in all that castle. Lord Branduc de Har said, In this land to fail of marvels only for an hour were the strangest marvel. Banquet we lightly, and so to bed. So they sat down and ate, and drank of the honey-sweet wine, till all thoughts of war and hardship, and the unimagined perils of the wilderness, and Coran's great army preparing their destruction, faded from their minds and the spirit of slumber wooed their weary frames then a faint music troublous in its voluptuous wild sweetness floated on the air and they beheld a lady enter on the dais beautiful she seemed beyond the beauty of mortal women in her dark hair was the likeness of the horned moon in honey colored cymophanes every stone whereof held a straight beam of light imprisoned that quivered and gleamed as sunbeams quiver wading in the clear deeps of a summer sea she wore a cotehardy of soft crimson silk close-fitting, so that she did truly apparel her apparel, and with her own loveliness made it more sumptuous. She said, My lords and guests in ishnane the martre there be beds of down and sheets of lawn for all of you that be a-weary, but know that I keep a sparrow-hawk sitting on a perch in the eastern tower, and he that will wake my sparrow-hawk this night long, alone without any company and without sleep, I shall come to him at the night's end, and shall grant unto him the first thing that he will ask me of earthly things. So saying, she departed like a dream. Brandock de Har said, Cast me lots for this adventure. But just spake against it, saying, There's likely some guile herein. We must not in this accursed land Suffer aught to seduce our minds, But follow our set purpose. We must not be of those who go forth for wool And come home shorn. Brandock de Har and Spitfire mocked at this, And cast lots between themselves. And the lot fell upon Lord Brandock de Har. "'Thou shalt not deny me this,' said he to Lord Jus. "'Else will I never more do thee good.' "'I never could yet deny thee anything,' answered Juss. Art not thou and I finger and thumb? "'Only forget not whatsoever betide, wherefore we be come hither.' Art not thou and I finger and thumb?' said Branagh de "'Fear nothing, O friend of my heart. "'I'll not forget it.' So while the others slept, Branagh de Hahr waked the sparrow-hawk night long in the eastern chamber. For all that the cold hillside without was rough with hoar-frost, the air was warm in that chamber and heavy, disposing strongly to sleep. Yet he closed not an eye, but still beheld the sparrow-hawk, telling its stories and tweaking it by the tail ever and anon as it grew drowsy, and it answered shortly and boorishly, looking upon him malevolently. And with the golden dawn, behold that lady in the shadowy doorway. At her entering in, the sparrow-hawk clicked its wings as in anger and without more ado took its beak beneath its wing and went to sleep. But that bright lady, looking on the Lord Brondock de spake, and said, Require it of me, my Lord Brondock de that which thou most desirest of earthly things. But he, as one bedazzled, stood up, saying, O lady, is not thy beauty at the dawn of day an irradiation that might dispel the mists of hell? My heart is ravished with thy loveliness, and only fed with thy sight. Therefore thy body will I have, and none other thing earthly. Thou art a fool, she cried, that knowest not what thou askest. Of all things earthly mightest thou have taken choose, but I am not earthly. He answered, I will have naught else. Thou dost embrace then a great danger, said she, and loss of all thy good luck, for thee and thy friends beside. But de Har, seeing how her face became on a sudden such as are new-blown roses at the dawning, and her eyes wide and dark with love-longing, came to her and took her in his arms, and fell to kissing and embracing of her, on such wires they abode for a while, that he was ware of no thing else on earth save only the sense-maddening caress of that lady's hair, the perfume of it, the kiss of her mouth, the swell and fall of that lady's breast straining against his. She said in his ear softly, I see thou art too masterful, I see thou art one who will be denied nothing, and whatsoever thine heart is set. Come, and they passed by a heavy-curtained doorway into an inner chamber, where the air was filled with the breath of myrrh and nard and ambergris, a fragrancy as of sleeping loveliness. Here, amid the darkness of rich hangings and subdued glints of gold, a warm radiance of shaded lamps watched above a couch, great and broad and downy-pillowed, and here for a long time they solaced them with love and all delight. Even as all things have an end, he said at the last, "'Oh, my lady!' mistress of hearts here would i abide ever abandoning all else for thy love's sake but my companions tarry for me in thine halls below and great matters wait on my direction give me thy divine mouth once again and bid me adieu she was lying as if asleep across his breast smooth skinned white worn with shapely throat leaned backward against the spice odorous darknesses of her unbound hair one tress heavy and splendid like a python coiled between white arm and bosom swift as a snake she turned clinging fiercely about him pressing fiercely again to his her insatiable sweet fervent lips crying that here must he dwell unto eternity in the intoxication of perfect love and pleasure but when in the end gently constraining her to loose him and let him go he arose and clothed and armed him that lady caught about her a translucent robe of silvery sheen as when the summer moon veils but not hides with a filmy cloud her beauty's splendor and so standing before him spake and said Go, then. This is got by casting of pearls to hogs. I may not slay thee, since over thy body I have no other power. But because thou shalt not laugh over much, having required me of that which was beyond the pact, and being enjoyed is now slighted of thee and abused, therefore know, proud man, that three gifts I here will grant thee thereto of mine own choosing. Thou shalt have war and not peace. He that thou worst hatest shall throw down and ruin thy fair lordship crothering castle and the manes thereof. And though vengeance shall overtake him at the last, by another's hand than thine shall it come, and to thine hand shall it be denied. Therewith she fell a-weeping, and the Lord Brandock de Haar, with great resolution, went forth from the chamber, and looking back from the threshold, he beheld both that and the outer chamber void of Lady and sparrow both, and a great weariness came suddenly upon him. So, going down, he found Lord Juss and his companions sleeping on the cold stones, and the banquet-hall empty of all gear, and dank with moss, and cobwebs, and bats sleeping head-downward among the crumbling roof-beams. Nor was any sign of last night's banqueting. So Brandock Dahar roused his companions, and told Just how he had fared, and of the weird laid on him by that lady. And there went greatly wondering forth of the accursed castle of Ishne martra glad to come off so scatheless. On that ninth day of their journey from Salapanta, they came through wastelands of stone and living rock, where not so much as an earthlouse stirred with life. Gorges split the earth here and there, rock walled labyrinths of gloom, unvisited forever by sunbeam or moonbeam, turbulent in their depths with waters that leapt and churned for ever, never still and never silent. So was that day's journey tortuous, turning now up, now down along those river banks to find crossing places. When they were halted at noon by the deepest rift they had yet beheld, there came one hastening to them, and fell down by Jus, and lay panting face to earth, as breathless from long running. And when they raised him up, behold, Mivosh Faz, harnessed in the gear of a black rider of Jalconius Faustus, and armed with axe and sword. Great was his agitation, and he speechless for lack of breath. They used him kindly, and gave him to drink from a great skin of wine, Zeldonius's gift. And anon he said, "'He hath armed countless hundreds of our folk "'with weapons taken from Salapanta field. "'These, led by the devils his sons, "'with filprits cursed of the gods, "'begone before to hold all the ways be east of you. "'Night and day have I ridden and run to warn you. "'Himself, with his main strength of devil's ultramontane, "'rideth hot on your tracks.' "'They thanked him well, marveling much that he should be at such pains "'to advertise them of their danger. "'I have eat your salt,' answered he, "'and moreover ye are against this naughty, wicked, bald head "'that came over the mountains to oppress us. "'Therefore I would do you good. "'But I can little, for I am poor that was rich in land and fee, "'and I am alone that had formerly five hundred spearmen "'lodging in my halls to do my pleasure.' "'There's need to do quickly that we do,' said Lord Brandock de Har. "'How great start of him hadst thou!' "'He must be upon you in an hour or twain,' said Mivache, "'and fell a-weeping.' "'To cope him in the open,' said Juss, "'were great glory, and our certain death.' "'Give me to think but a minute's while,' said Brandok Dahar. "'And while they busked them, "'he walked musing by the lip of that ravine, "'switching pebbles over the edge with his sword. "'Then he said, "'This is without doubt that stream Athrashar, "'spoken of by Gro. "'O Mivash, runneth not this flood of Athrashar "'south to the salt lakes of Ogo Morveo? "'And was there not there about a hold "'named Esgraw Ogoh, Mivarsh answered, this is so. "'But never I heard of any so witless as go thither. "'Here where we stand is the land fearsome enough. "'But Eshgrar Orgo standeth at the very edge of the Maruna. "'No man hath harboured there these hundred years.' "'Standeth it yet?' said Brandock de Harp. "'For all I wot of?' answered Mivarsh. "'Is it strong?' he asked. "'In old times it was thought no place stronger,' answered Mivarsh. "'But ye were as well die here by the hand of the devil's ultramontane.' As there be torn in pieces by bad spirits. Brandoc de Dah turned him about to Juss. It is resolved, said he. Juss answered, Yea, and forthwith they started at a great pace south along the river. Methought you should have gotten clean away, ere this, said Mivosh, as they went. This is but nine or ten days' journey, and tis now the sixteenth day since ye did leave me on Salapanta Hills. Brandoc de Dah laughed. Sixteenth, said he. Thou'lt be rich, Mivarch if thou reckon gold pieces of this fashion thou dost daze this is but our ninth day's journey. But Mivarch stood stoutly to it, saying that was the seventh day after their departure when Corund first came to Salapanta, and I, fleeing now nine days before his face, chanced on your tracks, and now out of all expectation on you Nor for all their mocking would he be turned from this. And when as they still pressed through the desert southward the sun declined and set in a clear sky, behold the moon a little past her full and just so that she was seven days older than on that night she was when they came to Ishnayne-Nemartre. So he showed this wonder to Brandock-de-Haugh and Spitfire, and much they marvelled. "'You are much to thank me,' said Brandock-de-Haugh, "'that I kept you not a full year awaiting of me. Beshrew me, but that seven days' space seemed to me but an hour.' "'Likely now to thee,' said Spitfire, somewhat greenly. "'But all we slept the week out on the cold stones, and I am half-lamed yet with the Acompt.' Nay, said, just laughing. I will not have thee blame him. The moon was high when they came to the salt lakes, that lay one a little above the other in rocky basins. Their waters were like rough silver, and the harsh face of the wilderness was black and silver in the moonlight. And it was as a country of dead bones, blind and sterile beneath the moon. Betwixt the lakes a rib of rock rose monstrous to an eminence crag-begirt on every side, with dark walls ringing it round above the cliffs. Thither they hastened and as they climbed and stumbled among the crags, a she-owl squeaked on the battlements, and took wing ghost-like above their heads. The teeth of Mivash Faz chattered, but right glad were the demons as they won up the rocks, and entered at last into that deserted berg. Without, the night was still, but fires were burning in the desert eastward, and others, as they watched, were kindled in the west, and soon was the circle joined of twinkling points of red about eshgra Orgo and the lakes. Just said, by an hour have we forestalled them, and behold how he ringeth us about, as men ring a scorpion in flame. So they made all sure, and set the guard, and slept until past dawn. But Mivarsh slept not, for terror of hop thrushes from the maroona. End of chapter 10